Welcome to the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and we are back with another great episode and a very special guest who is the founder and CEO of the Carson Group, Ron Carson. Ron is a CEO who serves financial advisors and investors through multiple businesses, including Carson Wealth, Carson Coaching, and Carson Partners. Ron is one of the most celebrated and respected financial advisors and executives in the industry. He's a sought after speaker, thinker, and investment strategist. He's continually ranked among the top advisors by Barron's Magazine and was one of the only two independent advisors inducted into the Barron's inaugural Hall of Fame. Ron has been named to the Forbes list of America's top wealth advisors for several years, included in Investopedia's list of top 100 financial advisors, recognized as an investment news innovator and acknowledged as an Inc. 5000 CEO of the Carson Group, a two-time participant in the annual list of America's fastest growing private companies. If you haven't checked it out already, I want you to check out Ron's new book, Proven in the Trenches, and specifically we'll have you check out the version that's on Audible. It's dynamic. It's packed with information. Ron is a wealth of knowledge, and he's so much more than a CEO and leader in business. Ron is a father. He's a husband. He's an innovator. He's a deep thinker, and he's someone who has inspired millions of people across the globe. I've waited for this conversation for so long, and I'm so excited to have a friend and someone who I followed in my guest today, Ron Carson. Thanks for being with hey. us, Ron. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Jordan, thanks for having me. And your your uh, first time I met you, uh, and, and just like today, your energy is contagious. I love the big smile of your energy, and uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to be asked to be on on your show today. Thank you. Well, so much of what you bring to the world, Ron, is your energy and it's your enthusiasm. And it was also the thing about you that stuck out the most. Uh, we have a good friend, Chris, and he, he called it a glow. You have a glow about you. <laughs> and I love, the, I love the glow, but I think really what he was saying is it's your energy, it's your belief, it's the way that you move through life, it's the way that you build relationships. And here's what I want people to know about Ron Carson. I want them to know that you come from a modest background. I want them to know that you work for uh, what you have and you still work for what you have. But I want them to know that you're, you're probably a lot more like some of the people listening than they would ever realize. Uh, you had a really interesting journey where you started in the financial services business back in 1983. You started cold calling out of a college dorm room. You put 56,000 miles on your car in your first year of business. And when people hear this, they're not even going to believe it. But this is, I, I believe, true. You didn't break $30,000 of revenue for the first six years of your business. Now, I'll, I'll let you confirm that that's true. And then here's one last fun fact about Ron before we dive into the early days of his business. You actually worked as a Santa Claus character and as an auctioneer at a consignment shop to make ends meet. Can you take us back to the early stages wow. of your business? You did your homework, Jordan. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, I oh, I got to tell the it's true that I put fifty six thousand miles on my car the first year, but what I may not have you may not know, I got pulled over the same day and was given two tickets, both in excess of hundred miles an hour in Interstate eighty out in Western <laughs> Nebraska, by the same guy, you know, so that's crazy. 
And, uh, um, but no, I, I grew up on a farm. My wife and I uh, both are farm kids and you probably don't remember this, but in 1982, interest rates at 21.5%. I mean, as we speak today, interest rates are virtually down to zero. And my parents went broke farming. And I was going to be a farmer my whole life. And I ended up um, being, sitting in uh, the library during study hall and reading a Money Magazine article. And it said, top professions for the future. And right at the top of the list, become a CFP. And I just then and there, I was scared to death because I'd seen my dad cry for the first time ever. I'm like, wow, this is really serious. And, uh, and so I pursued it. I was a total unconscious incompetent. I didn't know anything about it, but I always, I had a little bit of money from little odds and end businesses I did. I always had an interest in, in uh, investing. So I thought, well, that, that sounds like as good as any. I had no foresight that a major bull market was going to start in financial services. Um, by the way, we, every year for years, we went out to an event called the Napa Valley uh, Wine Auction. It's a big fundraiser. And there was a pre-party and a lady was from the Bay Area. And she said, where are you from, Nebraska? What do you do? And she goes, how'd you get in the business? I told her that story. And she looked at me with bright eyes and said, I was at Money Magazine and I wrote that article. No you talk, yeah, yeah. I every time I say that, I still get quivers down my spine. I said, "Well, then I owe you my career because that's really as much research as I put into it." Now, obviously, um, as I got deeper into it, I loved the business because you know it 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 changed all the time. Things change every day, but I was starting at ground zero. I mean, I had no, I had a, you know very little money, and I didn't really have parents that were able to support it. Um, and I cold call, you know, out of a phone book, um, and mainly farmers, because in those days I could relate to farmers. I could talk weather, I could talk equipment, I could talk all that stuff. Uh, and I, and I got to a point where I hated the business. Um, I was ready to quit because I was a one man band. I was doing everything myself. Uh, I remember I joined another firm in 1989. So, which would have been six years later. And they weren't even going to take me because my total revenue was under 30. It was like 29,000 some odd dollars. Um, and the gentleman on the committee said, I've met Ron. He's, he's got a lot of energy. This is because in those days, I think you had to have a hundred thousand and it was, it was the largest independent broker dealer today. Um, but they were super small then. And I was, almost wasn't big enough to, for them to even take me and Jim Putnam who, I owe debt of gratitude to this day, went to bat for me and said, you know, this is someone we should bet on. And they bet on me. And, uh, uh, and I, and I never looked back. I, out of pure necessity, you know, I came up with different ways when you have no money, but you have a lot of time, you know, you get pretty creative with, with ways to grow your business. Well, I want to talk about one of these creative ways and whether you're a financial advisor listening, you're a real estate agent, you're an entrepreneur, you know, my guess is you're in the people business. Most of us are, right? We're in the people business. And you had sort of this defining moment. You're, I think, coming home from a long day of work. And you see a guy on the side of a road who has maybe sort of a simple job. He's breaking cement. And this moment is what ultimately led to Love Affair Marketing, which has been one of your key strategies for, for growing your business. And all of our listeners need to hear this. So this is heavy note-taking time. I'd love for you to take us back to that moment on the side of the road you see this guy, you have a thought, 
And this thought gives way to one of your best strategies. Can you take us there? Yeah, Jordan, I love telling the story because I, I can actually feel it like I was there in the moment. Um, it was it was on 108th. I was getting ready to turn to get on the interstate in Omaha. I'm sitting in a long light. It's a hot August day. There's a guy jackhammer and cement out of the median. And, you know, he was and plus because I was working all the time. I, did, I had always been in great shape. I always worked out. I'd let myself go. Um, I just wasn't feeling good about myself. Plus, I'd had a whole week where I'd been stood up and on every appointment, not made a sale. And I'm watching him and it's hot and humid and he's got sweat just rolling off of him, but he's in good shape. He's got a nice tan. And I'm thinking when this guy's done, he gets to go home, take a shower, kick back, have a cold beer, and he's getting paid right now. And I love to say I, I envied him for a moment, although it was a brief moment, because while I love being on the farm, you know, I, uh, I knew that just it was just hard. Right. There's that's just a hard living, hard way you know, to, to make a living. So I literally went back and it was in my wife's apartment because we weren't married then, but we've been together. Actually, we just celebrated, celebrated 39 years together uh, last August, August 15th. Uh, but I went back to her, her apartment. And just needing to hear a friendly voice. I remember I'd never done this before. It seems so basic today. But I picked up the phone and I called my, a client. And, and at the end of the call, she's like, Ron, you just called to say hi? Like, there's nothing else you need? And I was like, yeah, I just called to say hi. What I should have said, I was so down, so dejected. I just need to hear a friendly voice is really what the truth was. And she goes, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you just reaching out for no reason. And I realized the only other time I ever contacted a client is when I wanted them to do something, right? They had a CD come and do, there was something in it for me. And I hung up the phone and thought, wow, I'm going to call some more clients. And so I spent the next few hours getting a hold of, I didn't have that many clients and I got a hold of a handful had a very similar reaction. They all said, well, is everything okay? Or is there something, is, do you have a reason to call? No, I just wanted to check in to see how you were doing. And that was the birth of something I termed love affair marketing, which if you, if you study human behavior, it's really emotional reciprocity. And I was just making a small deposit in the relationship and the return was astronomical. And so I literally built it into our businesses. We call them random acts of kindness look for reasons to reach out, surprise and delight to client. Um, do it with a big open heart because you love people. Because this is so powerful. Like it, can be, it can be abused, right? If you're not in it for the right things and the right reasons, because you really can by really showing interest in other people, um, they, will, they will kill themselves for you. Because we're in a society, especially today, in 1983, we didn't have the internet. We didn't all have electronic devices. People were lonely. Like they wanted, they wanted some connection, especially my clientele who were older farmers sitting out on a farm. There was you know, no place to go. Um, and today, I think people are more in their cocoon. They're just, just, you know, they don't have, even though we got all this digital interaction, people still crave the human interaction. And service in general and people, you know, the, the care factor is as low as it's ever been. Just try to get someone to show up, do a job, do it on time, 
And I told my team the other day, I said, um, the great news about the fact that we as an organization, every single day we wake up, say, well, how can we serve our client at a higher level? What can we do to surprise and delight them? And you've got society pushing expectations the other way. I always say people are only upset when they're abused more than they expect to be abused. Mm. There's a built-in acceptance. Like if you're going to fly in airlines today, you just know it's not going to be a great experience. But it's only when it exceeds what you're expecting do you get upset. Can you imagine when you go the other way and people are showing up, bending over backwards to do, to go out of your way, even if it's not in your job or it's not part of the relationship. And, and really at, at Carson, that's our company. We've, we have empowered our people just to make decisions. Um, I tell them, if you're not sure whether you should do something, I'd rather you ask forgiveness and permission without fear of any retribution. There may be a learning experience. I had a basically an intern at one time um, commit me to over $100,000. He signed the contract for over $100,000 commitment. He said, you said, ask permission. I go, wow. I was like, it turned out to be okay. But he had the biggest smile on his face. Wow. And I'm like, well, here's a learning moment. Maybe if it's, you know, over 5,000, come and talk to me first. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there are some rules, right? Maybe. <laughs> there are a few, yeah. <laughs> However, as a leadership, and I know you're big on leadership, I think, I think so often mistake I made early on in my career, Jordan, was I micromanaged people. You know, I didn't give them the space, the room to grow, to make mistakes. You know, I was, you know, I always say delegate and release. Mm. get the heck out of the way versus delegate and micromanage. And that was used to be me. And one of the, one of the key things that really allowed my business to accelerate and my personal life to get way better because I used to work all the time was realizing that if I did something a certain way, I probably wasn't going to find anybody else to do it exactly that way. Matter of fact, even if they did it 80% as good as me initially, that's a win because how powerful is it to get 100 or today we have, you know, between our partner offices and the people in Omaha, we have probably 15, 1,800 state, we call them internal stakeholders, not employees. How more powerful is I have 1,800 doing it 80% as good initially? But here's the secret. After you give them the authority, the ability, most of these people are all smarter than me, maybe all of them. They'll do it three and four times better because they're hungry and they're out there and they're with new information. And I'm just blown away by, matter of fact, one of my mentors, who is Howard Hawks, uh, give him, he's a self-made billionaire, lives in Omaha. Uh, early on, we served on some boards together. And I said, Howard, what was the key to your success? And he tried to give me all these things. No, I want you to give me the one. Like, what's the one thing that most led to your success? He said, Ron, hire the best people you can find and get the heck out of their way. And it's easy to say and understand. It was really hard for me to do. And I see this in a lot of CEOs that we coach. They have a hard time doing that, right? Because I'll say, yes. how's it going? And they're like, well, I did this, but they're not doing it this way. And I go, keep in mind what I said. They're not going to do it your way. Let them, let them do it their way and give them room to learn and make a few mistakes. So good. Well, here's your magic. To me, Ron, one of the things that's really stood out in getting to know you and following your journey is your ability to build and run at an incredible pace while still making people feel important. 
And I know that's required you to build some systems and processes because there's some people listening that are saying, well, I'd love to make everybody feel valued and I'd love to deliver that kind of service, but I just don't have the time or my world's become too complex. Well, we're talking to a guy, if you're listening, we're talking to a guy today that for 25 years in a row was LPL's top advisor. And, and now is running a firm that is one of the most distinguished firm in the entire industry, the entire financial services industry. And you've managed to make people feel important. And I know it's required some systems and processes. Um, I'm going to touch on this one example. And I know there's thousands of examples that we could use. But you have this creative system when you do events with name tags. And I want people to hear this because I know this is just a simple thing, but it's to the point that simple things can be really impactful. And you got to set up your environment for success. You've got little dots. There's colored dots on name tags that signal if somebody's a prospect or a client. And also yeah. it has to do with birthdays and it allows you to engage with people in a very intentional way. Can you kind of walk us into that sort of scenario. If I was maybe at a at an event and I had a name tag on at one of your events, what you would know about me? Yeah, and so I'm actually coming to you. Jeannie and I, um, we have a home. We're in Aspen, Colorado now. And the reason this is important, for, first time I ever came to Aspen was when I was invited to spend a day. There was four or five of us in a room with a gentleman by the name of Michael Gerber who wrote a book called The E-Myth. And in the book, uh, he said, well, in this, in this one day session, he said, if you have great systems, you can get ordinary people to deliver extraordinary results. If you have no systems, you need extraordinary people to get ordinary results. And that is so true that because we, we spend so much time answering the same question over and over and rethinking of the same process. So have it documented on how you're going to do an event, how you're going to greet a client. What are all the things we're doing to make them feel special? You're talking about our event. So one of the pieces of our event, everybody's birthday is important to them. So when we have a client event. I could just by glancing across the room, if it's a certain uh, uh, color name tag, it's a prospect. I knew my clients, but I didn't know the other advisors' clients. So we had to have a system where we knew they were a client of the firm or not. And if their birthday was in the next 30 days, we'd have a little tick mark. They wouldn't even notice it in the upper right-hand corner. So I could say, hey, Jordan, I know you got a birthday coming up. You have anything special planned? And they're blown away. How on earth can you remember my birthday's coming up, right? If it's a tick mark on the other side of the corner, they just had a birthday in the last 30 days. So if they're out of the 30 day window, we're not gonna be commenting on it. And there'll be a handful, there'll be a tick mark right in the center, it happens to be their birthday. And that's just in a great example, we're taking a little bit of time to make pe people feel special. And I had someone say, well, aren't you a little bit bothered to do gamify this in order to remember? I go, not at all. If someone is gonna take the time to develop a system for me to make me feel good and special, then I'm all for it, right? I don't care how they do it. And I'll com compare that to, um, I had a birthday August 28th. And every year I used to, I still get a few of these. I got a card, a, uh, um, a postcard in the mail from my insurance agent, mailing label on it, and it was crooked. And it says, happy birthday. That's it. And the real message that sent to me was, hey, Ron, 
In case you were wondering, your relationship means almost nothing to us. Just wanted to send you this card on your birthday to remind you of that. <laughs> because I would rather, I always say bad marketing is worse than no marketing at all. Yes. Like it's better to just no do nothing than to do something like that. So meaningful stuff that are meaningful to people. And then we're able to have a conversation and we build a database. Like we know our clients' pets' names or favorite places, grandkids, and all of that. Not I mean, we do want to have conversations with them about it, but we want to get to know our clients as well as we can, because I believe that's what's going to separate you know, us from, you know, do, someone says, just give me the big ideas. It's actually all the little things done exactly right, have an astonishing impact on the world. You may or may not know Bain Capital, um, Bain, the big, the world consulting firm, just took a, just took a um, minority uh, ownership interest in us. And one of the reasons they cited was the amount of data that we had. You know, this is the first time they've ever invested directly in the wealth management space. And the other thing that they commented on, going back to leadership, is how enabled two and three layers down our team felt. Because we, when you do a deal like this, you know, they're in your offices, they're spending a lot of time with your people, you're doing hundreds of hours of, of time with them. And those were the two things they cited, you know, that were, that were real differentiators for them in the marketplace. And I happen to believe that, you know, it's those little things. We, this is our fourth year we've been on the Inc. 5000 list. Um, and had we not done those little things, we never, we never would have made it one time, you know, on that list. Well, you've managed to keep people at the center and you can't do that unless you do simple things really well repeatedly. And you've done simple things really well repeatedly for an extended period of time. And I just so much admire the intentionality and the detail that goes into little things like a name tag and how that's allowed you to win. You know, it's been said that success is the natural consequence of applying the basics and the fundamentals. And that's your story, right? It's just consistent fundamentals, little things done well repeatedly. And I know one of the things that you've done really well repeatedly for an extended period of time is, is prospecting. And if you're in the people business, again, whether you work in a corporate setting or you're in sales, the reality is you're pursuing people, you're engaging with people, you're meeting new people, and you're trying to add value to these people. And you're masterful, Ron, at adding value. I mean, that's one of the things that you do so well. And you've got a lot of strategies, but one of the strategies that you really become known for, and one of the things that we talk about often, uh, and we always reference you when we talk about this, is passion prospecting. And I know that you're passionate about passion prospecting. And I want our audience to hear how you describe passion prospecting and how it's worked for you over the years as you've built your business. Yeah, I, and Jordan, this is one of the areas that I always, I, I'm always surprised that advisors or really anybody don't, they, they don't leverage it enough. And the whole idea behind passion prospecting is I love, I'm a pilot. Jimmy and I love to collect and drink um, fine wines we're into food, we're into sports, we're into, I'm into hiking, mountain climbing, that stuff. So all my, when I'm going to do an event, I'm going to do, if I don't want to think as work as work and play as play. I just want to live every day, right? I don't separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. And so just last week out here in Aspen, I had, had five couples and they all were avid hikers and we all did, you know, several hikes together and, you know, and the question is, who do you know that shares our passion for hiking, for flying, 
that you would like to introduce me to. And I'd also set up events at the beginning of the year when I was meeting with a client, like, who do you know? And I come to it. The reason I'm aggressive and asking and for, for referrals within these passion prospecting events in my heart, I believe we're going to be provide a better value, a better service than 99% of the places they, they, they could go. I think you have to believe that in whatever you're doing. If you don't, yeah, good. you know, it's hard to sell. And, um, uh, and that, and that energy and that desire comes through. And then it's really easy. People have a hard time saying, Hey, you want to come and talk to my financial advisor, but it's really easy saying, would you like to go to a Husker game? Would you like to, although that might be tough, tough the way we're not winning anymore, but uh, would you like to share a great first growth wine or go to this dinner? Or I'm also big on um, uh, just the, the mental aspect on, you know, meditation and gratitude. You and I were talking about that a little bit, but there's just so many ways, you know, everything in our life revolves around um, things we love, but we also at the same time are building, building the business with the things that, that we love. And what's great about passion prospecting, if you meet someone who loves to bird hunt, they have a group that they know that loves and those people know and those people, and it goes on forever. It's a never ending pool and you get to have fun with the same people that you're providing a valuable service for. People buy who you are, not what you do. And you've remembered that, you know, you put that at the center. And I think so much of what's worked for you and what's worked for Carson is you've allowed people to lead with who they are instead of leading with what they do. And the industry needs to hear that. You know, I mean, that's been a, uh, an important message that you've been driving through your actions and it certainly applies to passion prospecting. So you've kept people at the center. You've also kept process at the center. And I know that you're very intentional about your process, uh, the way you sleep, the way you eat, uh, how you spend your time, the, the activities that you engage in. Um, and I want to I start with sleep because it's such a huge part of our, our lives. And you take this activity very seriously. And um, not many people do. And so I know maybe our listeners weren't ready for this. They want to hear about people and prospecting and, you know, marketing. But um, let's talk about sleep because this is interesting. And, and you're going to want to hear this because Ron's got some unique views and he sleeps really well. So Ron, I do sleep well. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, people say, "What keeps you up at night?" And I go, "Absolutely nothing." I mean, I'm like in a coma. Um, there's a there's a professor researcher, um, it's Dr. Moss from Columbia University, and he's I read his stuff years and years ago, and he basically he said there are three things that are going to drive our health: sleep, diet, and exercise. Those three. Sleep is twice as important as the other two combined. He goes, the crazy thing is people are depriving themselves of sleep to go work out. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're better off not working out at all and getting enough sleep. And he took it a step further. He worked with figure skaters that couldn't even uh, make it to out of their regionals that, that ended up winning gold medals. He took NBA basketball teams, football teams, and they actually practiced less and allowed them to get more sleep. Their performance went through the roof. And there's a book he has. It's old now. I'm sure he's, it's called Power Sleep. And there's some basic things in there to make sure you're getting max amount of sleep. We all need a certain amount of deep rim sleep. Some of us can go in and stay there immediately 
and others touch it and are out of it, touch it and are out of it. And so it can take some people 10 hours to get a restorative night. And he, he had a term for the, in the book, there's like one half, half of 1% of the population that literally only need an hour and a half a night because they go in deep rim and they stay there and they come out. But this is an area, if you can maximize your sleep, then you can shorten how much time you're going to need to sleep. I re really never wake up to an alarm clock unless I, like I've got something I got to get up for and I put it as mentally, I put it as a safety net there. But I typically go to bed about the same time, get up about the same time, and uh, rarely use uh, an alarm clock. But I would, I would strongly recommend uh, Dr. Moss's uh, Power Sleep as a good place to start. Well, it's fascinating. It's one of the first things that I heard about you. Uh, they said, you know, Ron, he's got this crazy energy and he goes, 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 but he sleeps really well. It's kind of a unique thing that I heard about you that you take your, your process so seriously. So I know for you, it's about people, it's about process, and it's about purpose. And Can you I make just it add one more thing on sleep before you jump on please, that topic? Please, please. What I think also has helped it is, and I talk about this in, in, in everything I've written, is I do the six most important things to get done the next day before I go to bed. And so we teach a thing at Carson called blueprinting. We have you go out, you know, 20 years, 15, 10, 5, 3, 1. And then, and I, and I coach, you should have goals that are both personal, professional, and family. Be busy with balance. And my six most is all of those. Like it's not just business, not personal. Weekends might be a lot more personal through the week, more business items. But I literally, the night before I go to bed, I list the six most important things in order of priority that got to get done the next day. And that I think is why a lot of people have a hard time sleeping. They got things rushing through their mind. When you take that pen to paper and there is something, I'm a, I mean, I've got my calendar and everything else digitally online, but I do write out my calendar the day before. And I list those six things. And when I hit the bed, I like to read a little bit and stuff, man, I go right out because I don't have any of that bouncing around in there. I've already got my day scripted for me the next day. So I think that has really enhanced my sleep over the years. That's fascinating. So the six most important things, you're suggesting that if we write those things down every night before you go to sleep, you naturally sleep better because you're less stressed and you're not thinking about the things that might keep you up. Exactly right. And right. here's the other thing, Jordan, it's tied to your one-year goals, which are tied to your 20-year goals, and your subconscious mind provides solutions. Because the night when I'm like, last night I'm doing my list, I have a big day today. And I'm like, wow, I got a lot going on tomorrow. And I was fatigued last night when I did my list. And I went to bed, I woke up and go, oh, these don't look so bad. Because my, my subconscious will start to formulate and it'll actually work on stuff. And mind experts used to say for every bit of information we have in our subconscious mind, we have 15 billion bits in our, in our, a bit of conscious is 15 billion of unconscious, subconscious. Mm. And now they're realizing our subconscious mind is expanding infinitely faster. We can't even possibly know all the cues we're picking up. So when you list them down, your conscious mind starts talking to your subconscious mind and opportunities and solutions will show up. Try this yourself for 30 days uninterrupted. And for all your listeners, give me 30 days. And if you don't see a significant increase in what you get done and sleep better, drop me a note. Drop me a note anyways. I'm actually on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and I do a video series, which I put out a one to two minute 
video vignette. Um, you can see it on LinkedIn as well uh, if you're if you're interested in that. You should stop what you're doing now and just go to LinkedIn, follow Ron. You're a great follow. You're one of my favorite follows on well, thank you. social media, period, Ron. And I'll also say this, what you just shared, whether you're a financial advisor, real estate agent, entrepreneur, athlete, if you got a pulse and a heartbeat, what Ron just said is incredibly powerful. That was awesome. And I appreciate you taking time to unpack that and share it with our listeners. Um, and I also appreciate how steadfast you've been about performance. And so I know you've been eccentric about people. You're crazy about your process and you're defined by your purpose. And I'm not going to let you out of here without talking about purpose. And I want to tie it to leadership. So yeah. when you think about what you're building, how you're leading, I want you to talk about some lessons. Because uh, I know you've been through some stuff and you have some great wisdom given your experience. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. When you think about maybe the most important leadership lesson that's um, helped you to think more deeply about your purpose and what you're building and where you're going, uh, your most important leadership lesson, what would it be, Ron? Be a librarian and not a library. When, you know, Napoleon Hill talks about mastermind groups and uh, McKay talks about networking, these are like, don't try to do it yourself. I used to be the guy in a meeting or a room that I put the pressure on myself to have the answers to whatever could come up. And I'll never forget, I just didn't know the answer. And I said to the client, I don't know, but I can find out. And you know what? They didn't think anything less of me because of that. And I'm like, wow, I just ought to really focus on being the librarian here, right? Let's surround myself with people. And that comes back to that hiring the best people you can find and get the heck out of their way. And the other thing I would say too, Jordan, never take credit, give credit. Mm. You know, it's people know you're, you know, if you're performing, you're doing well, you, you don't, you don't need to give yourself that credit. You're going to get plenty. You're going to get more. We all get way more credit than we deserve, you know, because it's the stakeholders that really are. We call them intro. By the way, that's the other thing. We don't have staff. We don't have employees. I think it's a terrible term. No one works for us. We all work with each other. And we, we have internal stakeholders, which are quote unquote employees and external stakeholders, which would be like you and Chris and people that we serve. Um, but we all have a stake. Right. And we're all. Um, intra and interdependent on, on one another. Uh, but boy, every opportunity you can give, if, even if you did 90% of the work, give the credit to somebody else. Never take credit, give credit. Uh, treat people like stakeholders. They're not your client. They're not your employer. They're a stakeholder in your life. Be a librarian, not a library. You don't have to have the answer. You just have to be able to find it. Yes. Um, final thing. I'm just going to add this for you, Ron, because to me, this is Ron Carson. You talk about being a fast follower. You're constantly seeing out into the future. You're adopting, you're innovative. Uh, you're up to speed with technology and you've put people around you who help you with those things. What do we need to know about right now that will help us to lead out into the future? Here's what I'll tell I'm an avid investor in, and I have been for a long time in technologies that are percolating beneath the surface. They're not mainstream yet. Um, Get your business in a position to leverage what's coming. And, you know, I, I tend to think called Singularity University in Palo Alto. And um, there was a comment made. I think it's so true. It said, if you think technological change has been fast up to this point, it's only been a trickle, but the avalanche is near. 
uh, I believe machine learning, artificial intelligence is going to change our society, some for the better, some for the worse, but you need to understand what it is. We're truly at a period here where you're going to be in one of two camps. You're going to be in the disrupted camp or you're going to be in the disruptor camp. You can't, days are gone where you can just kind of hang out and say, I'm going to be Switzerland. If you're not playing offense, then you're playing defense by default. And I would tell people there's more opportunity today than I've ever seen. And that goes across all industries everywhere in the world, but there's more distractions to cause us to fail than ever before. So getting your personal and your business isn't your life. Your business is a tool to help you get what you want out of your life. And that's why we teach people really focus on your why and work backwards from that. I even go so far is to write your eulogy, which you've heard me many, I've been responsible for thousands of eulogies being written. And if you really want to take it to the next level, and this is a little out there, but I did this personally and I've done it with a few people is do a mock funeral, you know, get in the cacti, cacti, the casket, have them read your eulogy that you wrote, record it, play the music, shut your eyes, take pictures. I mean, boy, if you can go to the end and then work backwards, because then you realize, and by the way, I, I, I kiddingly tell people, how many people do you know that actually got out of a coffin, right? I got out of the coffin. <laughs> and uh, I sent a couple Good. pictures sisters she didn't think it was very funny but I, we're also a big joking family we like we like to have a lot of love but all, all seriousness get really clear on your purpose and your why and man and then set goals off of that and your life will 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 accelerate and i think your happiness and contentment will sell will accelerate as well you had opened this up with a comment about you feel tremendous gratitude but deeply dissatisfied um and I get where you're going with that. I mean, I, every day, I, my first thing I do in the morning is I do a gratitude meditation and then I meditate into, I'm do a transcendental meditation, but I'm a big believer in meditation. Very like put the dog out and I go meditate and then I let the dog back in and we have our coffee and, and all of that, that boy, if you can get clear on that, your, you will, I feel um, so much gratitude, you know, for just where I'm at, the people I get to be around, you know, I, my life truly loves me and I, and I appreciate that. Um, but I also, am, I am pleased, but never satisfied, you know, pleased yeah. with where I'm at, but always understanding there's a higher purpose. And my personal mission, Jordan, is to, Jeannie and I are doing a lot around, um, oh, here's a plug for charity, water, water, food. We still live in a world where, um, 800 million people a day don't have access to fresh water. And you go to charity water and look at the video what Scott Harrison started um, people could have to walk four hours to get feces infected water and food, you know, food insecurity in this world is high today. Um, and then we're also very passionate about coral restoration. You know, we're losing our corals. We're losing the ability to feed ourselves. Uh, and, and, you know, here in the U S Fortunately, we're solving a lot of first world problems. That's good. Um, but man, we got a lot of real, real, real problems around the world that I think if we all band together, you know, we can, we can really help pull, pull up a lot of people. And that's how Jeannie and I want to make our mark. We're not on this earth anymore. Well, I know for you, Ron, it's all about purpose. And I just want to say thank you for helping a bunch of people today with their purpose. 
thanks for helping me with my purpose. Um, one of the first things that you said to me when we met, you said, we don't think outside the box, we blow it up. And <laughs> one of the first things I said to you today, I said, you know, you said, Jordan, how you doing? And I said, Ron, I'm, I'm insanely grateful and equally dissatisfied. And you said, well, that doesn't sound very good. And, you know, maybe you don't realize it, but you challenged me with your response and you challenged me here as we end the conversation today. And I just appreciate that about you. You're a challenger and you're crazy about your purpose. You have an incredible process and you're passionate about people. And for all those reasons, you're just a remarkable human. And so thanks for Thank tying you, up Jordan. your time, talent and treasure with us. I got better over the last 50 minutes. I know our audience did too. And from the bottom of my heart, man, I just want to say thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I love, you can tell I love talking about this stuff. So thank it, you. It, it oozes out of you. Uh, and I know that while well, you've accomplished a lot, your best is yet to come. And I can't wait to see what you do out into the future. You've been listening to another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks again for listening. And I also want to say thanks again to Ron Carson. Ron, you are a light to this world. I appreciate who you are, and I want to thank you again for spending time with the Montgomery Companies community. If you would like, subscribe, or share this podcast episode, it would mean so much to us as we attempt to move our mission of impact forward. I also want to say thank you to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all the work that they do behind these scenes to make this show go. Until next time, be well, be great, have an amazing day.